a lot going on, right? Over and over, I hear people say this from young and old alike. It's interesting to hear older people say this. They've never seen an election cycle like this. Um, in my limited time, uh, I can tell you I've never seen anything like this. Um, people are wrestling with how do I vote? You know, what? You see one candidate, you see another candidate, and you're like, what do I do? What do we do as believers? How do we approach the election? Because it's interesting, the Bible really doesn't have anything in context for us as far as because they, back in those days, they weren't voting. It wasn't like Peter gets a sermon on during the election cycle, who's what you should do? Wouldn't that be great? Um, for them, they lived in a very oppressive time, a government that was, the Roman government was very oppressive. Um, the Christian persecution was really crazy. And so, you know, it's interesting that they didn't look to the government to meet their needs or answer their questions. They continually looked at Jesus and the kingdom of God. Over and over, they looked to Jesus and the kingdom of God during those hard times. You don't ever see them trying to change the government, but you see them fixing their eyes on Jesus through whatever circumstance of time something. And so we have this unique thing that, you know, many, many years later that we live in a land that offers us the, the, the ability to have elections. I mean, we are, we're, we live in a very blessed nation. I hope you know that. It does have stains that perfect, absolutely not. But to even be able to corporately worship, that you chose to be here today, that no one forced you, no one's forcing us not to worship, we can come here freely. That's a blessing. That's an amazing blessing that we have. And I would say this in, in, in context to how we live as believers in this time and election. For some people, the idea is just like you look at that the candidates and you go, man, I'm staying home kind of a really good option. I encourage you not to do that. The scriptural precedence that I have is when Jesus, remember um, the whole tax issue, and he says that famous line, render and receive the gift of people of Jesus. In other words, I'm not telling you not to pay your taxes and um, you should do that. You should render unto Caesar what is Caesar, but unto God what is God's. So we make this distinction that we are in the world. We are here. We are, all of us are here, appointed and anointed by God at this time in history. And we are a part of a system that gives us the ability to make our voice heard through voting. And so then what do you do biblically when maybe you don't like either candidate? First thing you do is pray. Second thing you do is pray some more. And then pray again. Believers, you should be praying for the election coming up and for our nation. You should be praying. You should be praying. You should be praying. And you should vote carefully. You should vote with wisdom. You know, I hear a lot of things that go, what are, in, what are issues that are important to me? What are issues important to me? And I've heard that, and I understand that to a level. But we should say, what are issues that are important to God? 
is ask believers what are issues that are important to God? What are issues that we would consider biblical? Who are the candidates surrounding themselves with? These are questions that you should ask prayerfully. Because here's the thing, and then we've all been guilty of this. If you're looking to a person to, to do the answer to your questions, you're looking in the wrong place. And I think historically we've looked at political parties or people, and, and we can almost, and we won't say it, but sometimes we can almost elevate them to save yourselves. Because we're looking for them to come up with all the answers and and we've been disappointed year after year after year, right? In some way. All of the candidates have never, they are imperfect human beings that need Jesus. And so we have to be prayerful. We have to be mindful. We have to vote with wisdom. Don't just bury your head in the sand. I encourage you, go on each candidate, go on their website, read about what they believe, why they believe what they believe. Do an investigation and think to us, God, what are the issues that are important to you? What are the biblically important issues? And then, and then vote prayerfully. But, but do vote. We should be a part of the process. We are a blessing to be a part of that. But with that said, when you cast the vote, don't look to that person. Don't look to the election results to be what gives you peace. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Don't, don't be anxious for anything. Anybody have trouble with that? Be anxious for nothing? <laughs> we're, we're all working through that, right? He says, don't, don't be worried about Don't be anxious. Don't get up on Wednesday morning and the person that, you know, that all of a sudden you are in an anxiety sweeping over your heart. You don't have to do that. Because as Matt Potato said, you know what's going to happen Wednesday? Jesus is still going to be on the throne. He's up to, uh, Jesus is not tasting the force of heaven but watching CNN and Fox News going, oh, what's going to happen? Did you see those polls? He is secure in who he is. God is in control. He will always be in control. He was in control in the first century when they were under the Roman reign. God was in control. Believers all across the world right now who are worshiping Jesus, some of them very secretive because that's illegal. Guess what? They are not fixing their eyes on the government. They are fixing their eyes on Jesus. Because here's the thing. We live in the kingdom of God, and America and the kingdom of God are not the same thing. If that's a bubble burst before you, sorry. You needed that bubble burst. But a lot of times we think the kingdom of God and America are on the same kind of idea, and it's not the same thing. That's why Paul called us foreigners, aliens. Not a weird alien thing, but this is your sojourners, your temporary places. Yes, we should be about the Father's business, but just like Jesus, we are going to go and we're going to live forever. Your citizenship is in heaven. That's why we can fix our heart and our mind on things above. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in what? The Lord's hand. He can turn the heart of the king like that. He promotes one and demotes another. So God is in control. Right? And, and we've seen, I mean, and I've mentioned this before, but Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful man on planet Earth when he, when he was ruling and reigning, remember his, his kingdom that took Israel, and they, you know, they, they took Israel over and, and, and began to hold them captive and 
spread them out throughout the, the world. It was Nebuchadnezzar who was the most powerful man in the world, and God humbled them. And then he made this declaration after that. He was seven years of humility that God said, you're going you're to eat animal life, and you're going to eat grass like an animal. So you eat grass like an animal. You're going to be like a wild beast. And he did that for seven years. And he comes back and here's what his declaration. Okay, God, it's going to be So this wicked foreign king actually became a believer in God. Because... God says, he's not the one in control. It might look like he's in control, but I have the heart of the community. And so we should be prayerful. We should go with reason. We should understand that we live in the kingdom of God. We should not wring our hands with frustration or anxiety. Also, we need to be very careful what we say and what we speak. Whoever the president-elect is on Wednesday, we need to begin to pray for that person. We are told to speak to those who govern over you. Romans 13. Not slice them and dice them, not rip them apart. As believers, we should operate in a different spirit in the world. And right now, the world is just throwing grenades at each other, and guess what? We as believers, we can get right in the mix and spread. And God is saying, operate in a different spirit. Let the world see a different spirit on my people. And now, there's the commercial. Um, I encourage you to come out tonight. Um, we don't do these prayer nights very often, but I encourage you to come out. We're going to be praying for the nation, for the election, we'll be praying for other things, but I encourage you, and we'll also be praying for each other. It's not just that. Um, one of the things that we do, I like to do, is break up into small groups and have to pray for each other. We told the scripture that we can bear one another's burdens and pray for each other, and, and we, we take time to do that as well. We will be doing some worship and all right, so, so today is the, the last sermon in this God is series. I, I, I love doing this series and just looking and honoring who God is and, and just lifting Him up and putting Him on display and saying, let's look at some of the attributes of God. And as you've been tracking along, we have not like, done this exhaustive study of all of His attributes. He is so much more than what we talked about, but we looked at some of these bigger things. God is merciful, holy, He's a righteous judge, He is sovereign, and today God is with us. We're going to talk about the personal, very personal part of God, His love for us, His intimacy. And as you heard what Stu said and what Tim said, you need to know that God loves you way more than you realize. And I know that we hear that, and, and we can say it, and you're, you're, you know, some of you guys are just kind of looking, oh, yeah, yeah, the deer in the headlights, what is he going to say next? And sometimes the words that come forward, and some teams up here, and they give a word, and we can sometimes just kind of let that go over our head. But I'm telling you, God wants to speak to your heart, because he, he loves you way more than you realize. And a lot of times those words can say, well, it seems like it's the same thing over and over again. You know why? A lot of times it's the same thing, same thing over and over again, because we need to hear it over and over again. Paul says, I continually preach the cross. I continually preach the cross. Because sometimes we can forget. And all it takes is that one moment where it connects with you. So that is for me. But God loves us way more than we realize. As we talked about his attributes, he doesn't step on one attribute and become another. He is merciful and he's also a righteous judge all at the same time. Okay, so he encompasses all 
that he is he is he is sovereign, he is in control, and we have to be very careful that we don't try to fit him in a God box of our own making, that we try to define him or determine him or say, Well, he would never do that, or he always we gotta be very careful. His word defines who he is, he defines who he is, not us, and we can sometimes put Jesus into kind of our own definition and we actually are not worshiping the world we're just worshiping and Jesus that we have made and created in our own image and created in our own mind. Sometimes, you know, when I talk about righteous judgment, that freaks us out a little bit, but he's a righteous judge, but he's also merciful. He's a righteous judge that in his righteousness offers himself as a sacrifice So he's great. And so today's message, God is with us. So actually with this message, several of his attributes will be kind of what we're going to kind of unpack. Several of his attributes in under the description of God is with us. And so um, you'll, you'll hear a lot more about some of his attributes. One of the things that God is the description or an attribute is omnipresent. that He is fully present everywhere. He's fully present everywhere. Now, He isn't everything, like God is not the chair. See, see how people can say, well, God is whatever you want God. That's pantheism. God is not whatever you want Him to be. God is who He said He is. God is present, though, everywhere. He's omnipresent. He is the Creator. He is the author. Jeremiah 23 says this, not upon the screen, because I'm God who is everywhere and not in one place. Do you not know that I am everywhere in heaven and on earth? So he's omnipresent. And so in the Old Testament, I'm going to kind of rewind a little bit, but you guys, sin entered the world at the very beginning. You know, God creates man, and you've heard me say that God creates people, not because God was lonely or he needed people. God was sufficient in himself, but he created human beings as the object of his affection. That was why we're greater than the animals, we're greater than all of the other created things, uh, because God had a mission and a purpose for loving humanity, but the mission and purpose was always to bring glory back to God. But in, in his sovereignty, we talked about he gave free will, we see Adam and Eve. He's not going to force them as he doesn't force us. That's why Christianity, when we present the gospel, we don't force anyone to follow Jesus. We're not a religion that just, you know, either serve Jesus or die. We, we, we offer the good news of Christ to people. We don't force them just like as God did. So there was this, in his sovereignty, free will. So in the Old Testament, you see, sin comes in, they disobey God. In other words, again, it all boils down to, you know, not so much the fruit in the tree um, as much as it was they just did not believe what God said he was. They thought he was holding out on them, and they thought they could, be a, they could do a better job of being God. And that's what it boils down to all of us. Sin enters through the separation between God and man. Adam and Eve passed away from God's presence because God and sin could not coexist. God is life, sin is death, death loses to God, right? And so he separated because he knows that if, 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 we, if we can keep the relationship as it is, they were just going to follow their death, there would be no people. 
And so in the Old Testament, he separates from them. The relationship changed. If they would have remained in this presence, they would have died. But in this, we see God's intention of creating men. They, they, as we are, created to know God and be known by God in relationship to bring Him glory. It says this in Genesis that He would come out and He would walk with them in the cool of the day. God Almighty would come to Adam and walk with them in the cool of the day and see relationship with that's why the Bible tells us that he, he was in contact relationship with them. And because of disobedience to sin, that was broken. The relationship changed. But God, even in that, had a plan to restore what was lost, to restore the relationship. He still desired nearness to his people. He still loved his people. Just because he distanced himself. The distance was that, that because God and sin can't go into you with his God, but his love for them remained. He didn't stop loving them. And so we see this un, 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 unfold in the Old Testament. And so the fathers and mothers of the faith in the Old Testament, they had some understanding that God was still personal. Jim mentioned in Hebrews 11. It's interesting because it says in Hebrews 11 it gives that kind of, we call it a, like the hall of faith. Because here's what it says about them. It says they could, they could see the promise from, the, from a distance. They understood God. It's so personal. They knew that God still had a plan to restore. They, they had some of the prophecies that Messiah was coming, but he had not come. So they saw from a distance and they believed God. So God still wants a relationship with us. And, and, and Jesus wasn't here yet, but they believed. That God still loved them personally. Let's look at a few examples of where we see it in Scripture. Again, we're not going to have it all. Let's go to the next slide. So Moses, remember when God calls Moses, Moses says this to God, and, he, and it, because he, he's, he's having this moment with God, he says, unless you go with us, unless His presence is with us, basically he's saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I, 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 unless you go with us, and, and God says, you know, you're going to lead the people. You're going to take them into the promised land, you know, and there's that whole generation that didn't make it because of sinful disobedience to God. But Moses says this, and God says, I'm calling you, and he says, uh, okay, I'll leave, but only if you go with me. Isn't that a great prayer? Isn't that a real personal prayer? I'll lead, I'll do it, but man, I want you to go with me. If, I, if, 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 if you don't go with me, I'm not doing it. That's how we should live every day. Lord, I need you today. I'm going to step out of, the, out of my door. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go do this or that. I need you. Please go with me. Unless you're with me, I don't have a chance. This is that real personal prayer. And then he even said to God, remember, he said, will you show me the glory? And I'm just going to preach at you. Because they remember it's been in the Old Testament, there was separation. And, it's good. and God says, okay, Moses, you go into this little cleft of the rock, and I will let my, you know, you'll see the back part of me. I'll let you see that much, but if you see me face to face, you're a dead man. And so Moses was able to get, get a glimpse because God still wanted nearness to his people. Abraham, he says to, to God, he said, you, you are my exceeding great reward. You, you are what I need. And then Zephaniah, I love this prophet. And this is a very famous passage. Listen to what Zephaniah, okay, this is an Old Testament prophet. This gives you the idea that God is still in it. He loves his people. And they would understand 
Although they didn't get the full understanding because Christ had come, they still knew that God was a God of love. For the Lord your God is living among you. They knew He was around. They knew He was there. He is mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. Isn't that such a personal description of God? He will rejoice over you with joyful songs over singing God's thing. And the picture I get is like when a, when a dad is holding his baby and he's walking and pacing and maybe they're troubled in their hearts and you have this dad singing over their child. And if you've ever done that as a mother or father, you're singing over your child. There's something even about God that definitely and see that kind of God. He's that kind of father. Even though Christ hasn't come yet, they knew he was personal. I think David may have had the greatest revelation in the Old Testament about the personal side of God and His love. Let's look at David real quick and some of the descriptions and some of the attributes he gives to God for the next slide. David, being a shepherd, he said, The Lord is my shepherd. Famous passage that we all know. And the shepherd lays down his life to see the shepherd is among us, the shepherd is close because he knows each one of them, he knows their mannerisms, he knows their quirks. Aren't you glad they got enough their quirks? Any quirky people in here? Any quirks? Don't be looking at the person next to you, I'm not you. He knows our fears, he knows what a well, shepherd would be intimately acquainted, he knew. This one's got this kind of fear. If I make too much noise, this one's going to be David that he is In him, I have no want for anything. And then here's some other description in the Psalms. And so these attributes, he's my strength. He's my song. He's my deliverer. He's my refuge. He's an ever-present help in trouble. He's my strong power. He's my rock. He's my redeemer. And on and on. And we can look at the Psalms of David and he said, this is who God is. Really believe this. That's why David could see him as these things and then say, I lay in my bed at night and I meditate on your law and I love your law. I love your rules. God, I love your rules. Thank you for your rules. That's what he says. Anybody else, like, are you, you really love rules? And the answer should be, we, yes, we should. But the problem is the enemy says, follow the rules and God will love you. A little twist. God says, I deeply love you. I have a plan for your life. I want best for you. God, I love you. I want to follow your rules. That's why David said, I don't love your rules. And all those rules that you set up for us, really, I love them. Thank you. Because I see that you love me. We can thank God for His rules out of His love for us. And so these people, they knew that God cared that He was personal with people. Promised the Messiah and the Messiah was coming because he loved people so much. They knew that that was a plan to restore and redeem relationships. They didn't see the whole picture, but they got the glimpse and they believed. Even in the Old Testament tabernacle, and I love this, and some of you have heard me unpack this before. It's one of the beautiful things, and I'm going to give you the abbreviated version. I love to talk about this. Remember the tabernacle that, first of all, when they were in the wilderness and God said, there's going to be a specific way that you're going to approach me, that you can travel. Remember, it was going to be a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of smoke by day, and when it would leave and move, they would pack up all their stuff because they were out in the wilderness before the promised land, they would go, and they would go wherever that went. 
because that was God's presence. And he would settle down, and then God gave, you know, you can read, you know, Exodus and Leviticus if you really want some good reading. And he had to set up this tabernacle, and this old, that first tabernacle, it was to be broken down like, you know, like a campsite. They would break it down, but then they would take it. And then later on, there was a permanent temple, right? Later on, there was a permanent temple Solomon built. But Moses designed this by God's design, he said, and there's going to be a way to drive away for people to be in. But here again, he would travel with them, and the people would all camp around. God still wanted to be near his people, although he couldn't have direct contact with all the people. He still wanted to be close to them. That's the picture of that tabernacle. And so then they set up this the whole thing called, it was, it was the, uh, the priest would come and minister as under the Lord, a high priest would come once a year in that place called the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant once a year into the very presence of God. But as you guys know, you know, they set up this, and it was, it was, a, it was a square kind of temp, temple area. They would come in, they would, they would make a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, because of the sins of the people, they would have to be animal sacrifice, and had to die because of the sin of, God, of the people, and to be right with God. And they would go to the next person. The priest would wash his hands and get all of the soot and the blood off of him. There was a place where there was a, a, you know, a bronze label where he washed. And then he would go, to, um, they would go into that first place and they would offer incense. And there was a table of bread and there was this menorah where they would keep the candle. And there's all kinds of symbolism that points us to who Christ is. And then again, once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on behalf of people. Well, if you look at that, and you guys can see this, like, you guys can see this, and I want to send it a picture of my hand, it's going to be a three days. It's a square like this, and they would start here, if you will, you know, if you look at that, they would start here. If you look at what's going on, it's in the shape of a cross. You see, God are, are always had it in mind, and the intention was to restore relationship with the cross, so all of that stuff pointed to the reality of what Jesus would do and watching him to come. It's unbelievable how much God loves us. Because in that place, remember the high priest would go, there was a big thick curtain, and he would go back there. They would call ropes for example, because he wasn't right with God. He got back there, he wasn't right with God, he would fall and they would have to drag him out, but no one was going to go in there after him. I think that job. Go in and get him. No thank you. But he would go into this holy of holies and this thick curtain. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus was dying on the cross, it says that the curtain in the temple ripped from top to bottom. That that was the event. And, and it was as if God was saying, I never wanted to have a curtain there in the first place. And what Jesus did allow, we don't have to have a high priest, we don't have to have somebody go before the Lord for us, and we have access to God in relationship with him, and that's what Jesus did. That's good news. So even in that, we see that God had a plan. And then Jesus shows up again. He comes and he comes and we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas, Christmas season. I love Advent season where we celebrate the coming of Christ and Jesus comes to full of promise and restore the broken relationship between God and people. And so we have this, this look at these passages here. Next slide. Jesus 
built the promise code. Isaiah 714, this is what Isaiah says, 7700 plus years before Christ coming. So therefore, the Lord himself will give us time. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Promise of. Now let me tell you, let me pause right here before I get to in Matthew where they said this is, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. During that time when Isaiah gave that prophecy, it was a time of great rest and unrest for God's people. And in the middle of all of this hard prophetic word about the disobedience of God's people, he said, God's going to get a sign. Jesus is coming. Even in the midst of the rebellion, God says, He's going to send Jesus. Isn't that cool? That God in our rebellion, that's why Paul would say that this is love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so then in Matthew, we have that first, you know, that, that Christmas story. All this took place, what, what that all is, that, that Jesus had been born, and we celebrate his coming, that he was born of a, he was born of a virgin, he was became one of us, a human. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? Built the law, he became the sacrifice. So, when those Old Testament priests would have to offer lambs, that's why John, when John was baptized, when John said, Look, we hold the lamb of God and takes away the sins of the world. So, Jesus becomes our high priest, as Jesus says, and the sacrifice. He offers himself as a sacrifice. So, to fulfill all of that law, he fulfilled the law and restored relationships. He came to save us, redeem us, rescue us, and give us new life in the world. Now, let's go So then he left later on. Remember, he left and then he sent this Holy Spirit. And remember, the disciples were really struggling with now. You keep talking about leaving, you keep talking about going away, you keep talking about dying. You keep, and he finally says, and It's good that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the, the Comforter, the, the, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, it's the, it's the third person of the Godhead. If I, if I don't leave, He doesn't come, and you really want Him to come, because that's our presence everywhere now. Because when Jesus came, you know, He was limited in, in His human form to be where He was in human form. He says, I go away, the Holy Spirit comes, and now the Holy Spirit will be my people, and it will, I will be everywhere. My presence, my power will be everywhere. So the Holy Spirit comes. We see the birth of the church in Acts. We see the Spirit of Jesus in us, around us. And Jesus said, He will be your counselor. He will be your victor. He will convict you of sin. That's again, that's that wonderful thing where David says, I love your rules. Thank you, Jesus, that you can love me enough to convict me. The Holy Spirit will convict you. He will help you. He comes to our helper. He will testify the truth. He's the one who gives us power to live the life we were meant to live. He points us to Jesus and He gives us power to live the daily life. Well, how do I become an overcomer? It's being under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I think every day we, as, as our prayer, we need to talk to the Holy Spirit too. He's a part of the God. The Holy Spirit gives you power to live today, to, 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 to testify the truth of what you're doing and you give you power to be an overcomer. God's heart 
been through all of this through history. That he is a God who wants to be with us. Fulfilled by Christ. Paul says, given the guarantee by the sent the Holy Spirit, that's the guarantee that he is with his children. Now let's rewind here as we close. I want to look at the words of David again. You'll be all be familiar with this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. This is David again writing in the Old Testament, pointing us to who God is, the reality of His, of how personal He is, and how loving He is. But Psalm 139, verse 18. A lot of reading, but stick with me. Let's go to the next one. So David, when you search me, Lord, and you know me, He wants to know us, really know us. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. God knows you did it. He, he created you. He formed you. He knew you. He knew you from the foundation of the earth. He knows your little feet, quirks, your fears, your troubles, your joys. He knows all about us. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you... And you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful and too lofty for me. I have a chance for David to see it. He's like, this is crazy. I'm going to talk about it. Next slide. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me. Sound. If I stay still, the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. What does that say? God is in pursuit of you. It's that convicted the Holy Spirit that we can't, we can't run from Him. When you're running from thing to thing, and maybe you have relatives, maybe you have people that you love that are far away from God, and, and, and it's people, they might go from thing to thing, and they might be running, their heart is running their fastest towards something else, and they're trying to get away from that conviction, or pushing away from God, the Holy Spirit's like, oh, go here. You can run to that relationship, you can run to that self-medicating, you can run to this and that, and the Holy Spirit goes, boom, I'm right here. I've never left. I'm not going anywhere. Now, Scripture does say that God doesn't contend with man forever. And sometimes there is a time where God will pull back and He says, All right, I'm going to let you have it your way. I'm going to let you go do your word. Just like the prodigal son, we have that story where, where, where there's a sovereignty of God saying, I'm going to still be waiting for you. Let's go to the next slide. There you go. Here's David talking about the creative God in us. For you created my inmost being and knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you, and I was made in a secret place, and I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes felt my unformed body. All the days that were being for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How fast to the sun of them were I to count them. They would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Folks, God is the life. It's 
seeds the Creator. You notice that David said, I'm not some biological happening of my mom and dad. Yes, moms and dads have a part to play. I'm going to go help class on this. But David is saying, I'm more than just a biological happening between two people. God knew me. God formed me. He framed me. He's giving you the words. He said, He formed me. He made me. He saved me. He knew me before my body was even formed. He knew me from the foundations of the earth. I was conceived in the heart of God way back then. My days were numbered. He saw all of them. That's not just for David. That's for you and me. If you're here, God created you with a purpose and your days were numbered when you were being formed in your mother's womb, the forming with God's hands. Not just biology. Biology is a real thing that confirms the reality of God. God said in the sovereignty, that's how it's going to happen, but I'm the one who frames and forms. God is the author of life. That's why when a human being is conceived, it began on the heart of God. Therefore, transferring woe. You see who that is? Hey, perfect. Here it goes again. There we go. That's what happens when you all turn your thing to silent. That's not a call, by the way. That's a little time record. I'm closing. You guys like that, but you want that more, don't you? Stupid phone. Hello, God, is that you? Nice try, Andrew. He was trying to call me just tonight to silence my phone. Where was I? <laughs> Guys, this is why the idea of life is so important. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed completely that anyone can read this and not think that God is the author of life or see this and think somehow we're going to transfer Godship to someone else. God is the author of life and He loves us and He has a plan for us. Let's go to the next one. Whoa. Is that it? That was it. God's thoughts for us. He's always been there. He's always, he will always be there. Yours is here today because you set it up that way. I encourage you to see him every day that God is with us. And that's what I talked about um, when, I was, when I was describing Corey Ten Boom. Remember where he said we, when they were in the Peter Scripture in the concentration camp, they began to change the prayer from God, why are we here? To God, what are you doing here? Is it all the incarnate and incarnate from prayer? And God, you're everywhere. Even in the hardship, even in the pain, even in the suffering, even in the times that don't make sense, God, you are here, God is with us. 
when you're going through a difficult season, God is being encouraged. God is not leaving you. God is still with us. And then we can say, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing in me and through me? Where are you and what are you doing? And let me find that place so that I can be with you and accomplish the, the purposes that you have for me. If you're here and you're maybe you're far away from God, He loves you, He convicts you, He draws you because He says, I have a better plan for you. I want to call you out of sin. I want to call you out of being God of your own life. And I want you to, to make you the Lord and Savior of your life. And that is the life that you were intended, intended to live with. Jesus, because I come to give you life, full life. So he came because he loves you. He died and rose again because he loves you. He wants to bring you out of sin and darkness and addiction and hurt and shame because he loves you. He gave his Holy Spirit because he loves you. He counsels you because he loves you. He helps you because he loves you. He directs your steps and he leads you and he gives you life because he loves you. And every day we just say, God, you are here. I need you. Change me from glory to glory. God is with us. He is the 